I'm going to ask that you would turn with me to Psalm 1, which I read already once as part of our prayer. I'm not going to read it again, but we will be working our way through it uh, during the message this morning. So I'm going to ask that you just keep your Bibles uh, open and we'll work through it a couple of verses at a time as we focus on the cadet theme, Rooted and Grounded. So if you just keep that open, we'll get to it in just a moment. But let's open with a word of prayer before we do. Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you might root us and ground us in the truth of the word this morning as we hear it, and that we might be rooted and grounded as we live it out in the coming week and throughout our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this year's cadets theme, as we heard already, is rooted and grounded based on several verses, but one of them was... uh, Ephesians 3, 17 through 18, I pray that you, being rooted and established or grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, as you might recall, we looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians a couple of months ago, and There we heard Paul pray for their church and for us, that we might have open eyes to our hope, our value, our power, but especially our love in Jesus Christ. The the Ephesians lived in a city where everything from religion to social networks to money was rooted and grounded in the pagan temple. And it was rooted and grounded in the worship of the goddess Artemis. And that colored how they were supposed to worship, but also how they were to live day by day. Well, the Bible deals with a similar issue from cover to cover, from Genesis to maps. On whose word do we stake our confidence? What lifestyle will we choose? Well, Psalm 1 introduces the Psalter hymnal of the Jews, of Israel, by dealing with these questions. In fact, Psalm 1 seems to be uh, directly connected to Psalm 2. Many scholars believe they're actually uh, composed together to start with. You can see it in the similar words and ideas. Psalm 1 begins with talking about who is blessed, and Psalm 2 ends with that same issue, who is blessed. They both talk about how people take their stand and especially about one's way of life. In a sense, both of them are about two ways of life. Psalm 1 deals with the way of life for individuals. Psalm 2 for the, uh, the way of life for the culture of the world and the challenge to the culture and the world. So we're going to focus on Psalm 1 to bring out this theme of being rooted and grounded. Now the psalmist begins in Psalm 1 by noting two divergent ways of life, the way of the wicked and the way of the blessed, the psalmist calls them. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now the word blessed there means to be supremely happy and supremely fulfilled. And the question is, 
when you look at the word blessed, how do you find that? How do you find true happiness, true joy? How do you find true fulfillment in life? Well, the psalmist says, not by following the world. Jesus addresses a similar thought when he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount on the two gates and the two roads, and he acknowledges that the world's way is more popular. Its gate is wide, its road is, is broad, because so many jump on the bandwagon and travel it. He counsels the less popular, narrow way, which leads to life, not destruction. But again, it all really kind of has to do with the question of the voice we listen to. The voice we listen to. Whose word we take as truth. Now for the Israelites, in the Old Testament, they had a profession of faith called the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one or is Lord alone. Their profession of faith is there's only one God. And then it calls them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then it instructs the parents to raise the children this way, to raise the children on the Torah of God. Sometimes we translate that law of God. But it's interesting, when you read Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, it talks about raising their children on the Torah of God as they sit and as they walk along the road and as they, as they get up or stand. And it's the same uh, three verbs that are used in Psalm 1, the first two verses, talking about a sitting, walking, standing. And I think that's not... A coincidence. I think the, the author of the Psalms is, is tapping back into that important essential of the faith and saying, remember, this is how you were raised. This is how you were raised. But, but now he seems to be issuing a warning for some people who are straying from that. Some people have changed the voice they're listening to. And they're now walking and standing and sitting with a different crowd. Now here's where the, the personal and cultural or worldly ways of life intersect. And here's where it is so important for all of us, especially when we are young and we need to start when we're young, thinking about whose voice are we listening to? Who are we sitting with? Who are we stand, taking our stand with? Who are we walking with? Now perhaps this group that he's warning didn't start that way. Maybe they started good and they learned well from their parents and they learned well from the Torah. Maybe they simply fell into a life of compromise. Charles Swindoll writes, Years ago I recall reading of the construction of a city hall and fire station in a small northern Pennsylvania community. All the citizens were so proud of their new red brick structure, a long-awaited dream come true. Not too many weeks after moving in, however, strange things began to happen. Several doors failed to shut completely, and a few windows wouldn't slide open very easily. As time passed, ominous cracks began to appear in the walls. Within a few months, the front door couldn't be locked since the foundation had shifted, and the roof began to leak. By and by, the little building that was once a source of great civic pride had to be condemned. 
An intense investigation revealed that deep mining blasts mining blast several miles away caused the underground shock waves, which subsequently weakened the earth beneath the building foundation, resulting in its virtual self-destruction. Swindoll writes, so it is with compromise in life. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, one rationalization leads to another, which triggers a series of equally damaging alterations in a life that was once strong, stable, and reliable. Or maybe it's kind of like those uh, we hear occasionally about the erosion happening on the West Coast and some of the houses in California falling into the sea. And, and every so often we might hear warnings about spiritual erosion or about erosion on the, on the Lake Michigan shoreline <clears throat> and houses threatened there. No one builds their house at a place where they think it's going to uh, eventually be destroyed or be swallowed into the sea or into the lake. It, it happens subtly, gradually, as the waves slowly erode the shoreline and, and slowly, almost imperceptibly, uh, cause destruction of those homes. Well, what we have in Psalm 1 is a warning of spiritual erosion. The, the people here have, have started walking. They started to walk in the step of the wicked, beginning to flirt with the wrong people, listening to the wrong advice, giving in to some worldly ways, starting to succumb to worldly pressures. And soon, if you start to walk that way, the psalmist says, you're going to start standing in the way of the sinners. and, And that's the way he pictures it. They stand in the way sinners take, beginning to follow their examples, participating more and more in, in uh, their ways of life, participating more and more, t- starting to maybe take a different stand in life than they used to have. And that will eventually, the psalmist says, lead them to sit in the seat of mockers. As they get increasingly comfortable with the world, now, now they're so comfortable they can just sit and join in the crowd. They've, they, they've totally given in to hanging with the wrong crowd. It's an important warning for all of us, especially when we're young, to watch out where, where this erosion might happen, to be careful to nip it in the bud before we uh, continue to get more and more comfortable with the worldly way of life. And this triad of actions causes us to ask the following questions. Who do we listen to or walk in the counsel of? Who do we act like? stand in their way, start taking a stand. Who are we taking a stand with in our world? Who do we belong to? To the point where we can sit in their seats and enjoy their company. And the blessed, the psalmist says, answers these questions, the Lord. Who do we listen to? We listen to the Lord. We walk in his counsel. Who do we act like? We act like Jesus. We stand in his way, in the biblical way, and we, we seek to live the way Jesus has, has uh, given us a pattern for living. Who do we belong to? My only comfort in life and death is that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed have answered those questions in that way. They find delight in the law 
meditating on his law. Now, some of you look at that and say, boy, law doesn't sound like something I want to meditate on. Unless maybe I want to become a lawyer or something. But until we understand that the, the actual Hebrew word there, Torah, literally means teaching. And it's talking about God's good teaching as the best way to live life. So that someone like Joshua before them learned to be strong and courageous by meditating day and night on the book of Torah. Do we do that? Is that our starting point? Meditating on God's Word. Well, people who walk these two ways of life are then described by the psalmist with a couple of images. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Now this first picture, <clears throat> you really need to have the geographic context of it, but the image is pretty simple. It's a picture of a tree planted not by the Jordan River, which is the only, uh, only um, river that's not seasonal, the only river that runs continuously in Israel. It's not talking about trees planted there that are flourishing all the time. It's talking about trees planted by the seasonal streams called wadis in the Judean desert. These wadis are, mo are dry steam stream beds most of the year because they own, the Judean desert only gets about two inches of rain a year. And so they rely on melting snow from Mount Hermon or on rain that comes from the central mountain range during the rainy season. And uh, it runs down uh, through a network of wadis throughout the desert. But that's very rare. Only during the short raining season. The rest of the year, those trees planted by streams of water, by seasonal riverbeds, must find their moisture elsewhere. They need, so they need to grow their roots deep into the water table below the arid desert. That way, they can maintain their fruit and foliage. They can stand up to the strong desert windstorms. Jeremiah talks about the same thing in Jeremiah 17. He writes, this is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. It, they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. The bush he's talking about is an arara bush that has these big pieces of green fruit, but when you, when you uh, take them and crack them open, all you get is a puff of pollen, and they're empty. No true fruit. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So he uses this very same uh, image to make the same point. The one who trusts in God will find the same prosperity, green leaves and fruit. If you grow 
your roots deep, if you are grounded in God and his word. That's why the blessed way is to be deeply rooted in God's teaching, which gives us stability, to withstand the dry times, to weather the strong storms of life, to bear fruit in the midst of our cultural desert. But then the psalmist turns from the desert to the farm field, and he says, those who stray from God are not like a watered and nourished crops of the field, but have become rootless, weightless, and empty as chaff. Now, chaff is the leftover husks of wheat and barley grain that, that comes after the threshing process. They th- come up to a threshing floor, and most, most every threshing floor was on the closest hill you could find because they needed the wind. <clears throat> and then they would uh, take all of that and take it maybe in a basket and throw it all up into the wind, and all of the chaff all of the weightless, uh, extraneous stuff from the grain would blow away and the heavier grain would fall back into the basket or back onto the threshing floor. And the chaff would then be destined for a harvest-ending bonfire. Well, that's alluded to in the the last two verses of Psalm 1, the two fates. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That harvest-ending fire becomes a picture in Jesus' parables for the eternal fires of judgment. And Psalm 1 alludes to that as well. Those who have taken their stand with the world will not be able to stand in the judgment. Where are you going to stand? With the world? Or are you going to stand with God at the judgment? For them, God will be judge justly condemning them to the path they've really already chosen. But those who have been delighting in God's teaching will find him delighting in them, watching over them, leading them down the road that leads to eternal life. As Jesus would confirm in the New Testament, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The ultimate fate of the two ways has already been set by one's decision early on. And this happens, these are decisions we have to make early on when we're young. The decisions to uh, which voice to listen to, on whose word each person puts his or her trust. So who are we listening to? In whose word do we put our trust? You know, there are times in our lives when we find ourselves in a desert, perhaps a time of crisis. Our lives change in ways that may never fully return to our previous normal. How do we handle those times, especially spiritually? In those desert times, do our roots grow deep in God and His Word? In the midst of a dry season, will we wither or bear fruit? A few years ago, we visited the home of the great poet Robert Frost in New Hampshire. Behind the house is a woods, which Frost would wander, getting inspiration for some of his poetry. We, we walked the path through the woods, stopping occasionally at strategically placed poems along the way, and finally coming to my favorite, The Road Not Taken. 
In it, Frost describes two roads discovered during walking in the woods. He writes, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and, and, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because the grass was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I'll stop there a moment. He knows he can only explore one of the paths. He tells himself, someday I'll take the other path, but realistically he knows he's never going to return. And by the time we reach the end of the poem, we realize that the poet's talking about something much more important than a simple choice of paths and woods. He says, I shall be telling this with a sigh, ages, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Frost is not talking about a choice of paths in the woods, but being at the crossroads of one's life. Choosing a road symbolizes any choice we must make between the alternatives that may appear equally attractive but lead to an entirely different destination. The psalmist likewise talks about two roads or ways, the Hebrew words are the same for both, two divergent ways of life, the way of the wicked and the way of the blessed. So at the outset of Israel's songbook, it's very clear, he's very clear about the blessed way of life and its ultimate reward, but he's also crystal clear about the way of compromise and its ultimate destruction. Which way will we take? Will we be rooted and grounded in Jesus the way? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word as it comes to us, Old New Testament alike, with a consistent theme of needing to listen to your voice and take the way that you have set out for us. And so we pray that, that you might have your way in our lives so that we might be able to live following Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's respond by singing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. If you're following along and lift up your hearts, it's number 737. We'll sing... The four stanzas, have thine own way, Lord, let's stand as we sing. <laughs>